We've spent the last uh, two weeks postponing this one, uh, looking at the relationship between the husband and the wife and the central relationship of the family, which is the marriage relationship, trying to focus our attention on what God requires and expects of us um, as husbands and wives, which then flows into our relationship to our children as moms and dads. And uh, so we have focused in on that, and now we're going to turn that corner. We're going to look at what God's Word has to say about the center of the Christian family. What is it to say we have a Christian family? In fact, what is it for your children to say eventually that they grew up in a Christian family? I think that's the question for us. What does that mean? What does that bring as far as an expectation from God Himself about who we are and what we're to be about. What is a Christian family? What does it look like? What are its its key priorities? What is it that it's concerned about? Where does it base its information about what is priority? All of these things are, I trust, on your minds as much as they're on mine, no matter your situation of life. Some of you are in the throes of parenting. Some of you have been parenting for some time and you are still parenting. Others of us are brand new to parenting. I'm 10 months, I think 10 months, right babe? 10 months into the parenting gig. We're okay with it. We think we're going to stick with it. Um, So far, so good. Uh, No, we're excited to be parents, but yet we're in the the front end of the parenting game. Many of you are at the, the tail end of the parenting And you are either completing, watching your nest get very empty, or you are dealing with the effects of that empty nest for however many years now that it's been empty. You have a tremendous opportunity as God's people within His church, as those who are, I hate to tell you this, considered the older believers within the body, to encourage the younger. So no matter the case tonight, No matter the situation of life, no matter the stage that we find ourselves in, we are either preparing to parent, we are involved in parenting, or we are associated with those who are parenting that we can be an encouragement to for the sake of their Christian family being all that God intends for it to be. So these truths, whether or not you are in the midst of them, are applicable to you tonight. And that goes for every section of Scripture. There is an application for all of us from each portion of God's Word. Even if that application is just our ability to encourage and inform and help others live in a biblical fashion in their particular life circumstance. Parenting, no doubt, is one of the most volatile subjects today. There are many theories for parenting. There are many who would ascribe to a method for parenting. And as much as is within me tonight, and I trust within you as parents and grandparents and those who will fellowship and encourage parents, it ought to be our desire to place our method, if you will, of parenting solely in the hands of God. Allow Him to be the one who articulates our priorities. Let Him be the one who articulates and defines what it is that our role encompasses when it comes to parenting. So I'm not here this evening, and I trust that you are aware of this. I'm not here to give you some strategy for parenting. I'm not here to give you some clever human method 
that is going to solve your problems. We're here to address what God has said about parenting, to set our priorities in line with Him, and to see Him then bless and use us as parents for His own glory. Most of us who are parents, or have been parents, or who will be parents, or who know parents, usually are wrapped up in the discussion of the how-tos of parenting. It's about the practical. It's about how did you do this? How did you do that? How did you get them to do this? Right? So if we're in someone else's home and some child is acting abnormally favorable, our question is usually not, uh, have you guys really focused your hearts in on setting yourselves to some priorities that God has given you from his word? Our question is, how did you make him do that? Because we want to know. We want to utilize whatever shock method you used, whatever it was. Why does he have that collar with the box on his neck? How do we how do we do this? How to? We want a how-to manual. And yet, I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news. God's word gives you principles that are then to be applied to your relationship to your children, which will then set a course and a direction for your family that will ultimately bring glory to him and will bring the potential for little lives to be turned from self-worshipping, idolatrous sinners to God-worshipping, God-focused, God-glorifying little trophies of grace. That's the potential that we're going to examine from God's Word in these weeks. So there's no clever scheme. If our answer to our desire for parenting, if I were to ask you, what is your goal as parents? When will you know, what will it be that will, you will look back and say, we did a, a fair job parenting? We did okay. We weren't perfect. We tried our best to be the best parents we could be, and we did okay. We were successful as parents. What will that be? When will we know that? When will you be able, grandparents, to tell your kids, you're doing a good job of parenting? When will you, who are not parenting but look forward to parenting, what will you set your heart to as the, the standard by which you will measure good parenting? What is it? What is the fruit that we look for? What is the desire of our hearts when it comes to raising and rearing little children? If the answer to that question is we want good kids, we want to just have good kids. Those are good kids. That's a good family with good kids. What does that mean? Usually that means those are well-behaved, respectful kids. Nothing wrong with well-behaved, respectful kids. That is a part of our desire. But if that is the end, if that's the, the goal, then behavioral methods will be your best option. You'll want to utilize the best of behavioral sciences, psychology, to modify the behavior of your children to the point where they are good kids, and you can go to bed at night with some human sense of satisfaction that you were successful as a parent. But if the answer to your question of what are we trying to accomplish as a parental unit is that we want to raise up worshipers of the one true God, then the most crucial resource you have at your disposal is the revelation from God himself about parenting. 
I can't stress this enough, and I won't stress it sufficiently tonight, but we are concerned, and we will continue to be concerned, and I trust we will continue to make it a priority to focus on discipleship in parenting rather than behavioral modification. What difference does it make if your child will sit still for 30 minutes, if that is a legalistic endeavor on their part to earn your favor, and they go through life unaware that they are sinful to the core? Our goal is discipleship. Discipleship can also produce an opportunity for 30 minutes of sitting still. Don't get me wrong. But the method, the message, and all that we pour into it will be from a different focus. If our goal is to conform our thinking about parenting with God's mind, then, of course, we need to focus primarily on what his word has to say. And let me just say at the outset, this is all by way of introduction, Practical helps. Many of you have read them. Many of us have them. They're on our bookshelves. Let's just, let's just cut to the chase. Many of you girls have read them, okay? And you told us about them, right? You've read whatever the, the, the popular books are. You've gotten some great practical ideas. You've got some things that you can do to help, at the, particularly in the early stages of having infants and having brand new babies, never done this before. What am I going to do? All those things are helpful, but they are only helpful so far as they in no way negate the primary source of information for parents. Right? When they start to take us down the road of the end goal of parenting, which is usually behavioral, then we must check ourselves and say, what does my primary resource that informs me about my goals, about my desires, and about the end that I pursue What does my primary resource have to say in light of this practical resource that I got from my latest trip to Barnes & Noble? Practical helps are valuable. Take them or leave them. There are great clues, great helpful things from experience that you're going to find there, and yet none of them will set a course for you unless they're matched up with the Word of God that will be in line with His desire for you or for those that you know and love to be biblical, Christian, distinctly Christian parents. So what we're going to do is just look at some foundational truths for parenting and family from God's Word. The principles that we derive, I trust, will be beneficial whether you're active in parenting or passive in parenting, whether you are in the throes of it or on the outside looking in, whether you're enjoying the grandparent stage of life where they come, they are showered with love and affection, and when they break down, they go, right? Uh, That's great. These things are still helpful. They're helpful for you to encourage those who are parenting, and they're helpful for all of us to view God's mindset about our interaction with those little lives that we're just sitting in here, even as a body. What is our desire? What is our, our goal? Okay? Parents are to see their children first and foremost. And I'm going to give you, this is still in the introduction stage, but believe it or not, I'm still going to give you uh, some key points. But let me just say foundationally that children are a gift. They're a stewardship from God. Psalm 127 verse 3 says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Children are blessings. I don't need to tell you this. This is so natural to us as parents, as those who love children. But 
children are a gift, and a gift, when it is given by God, comes with a responsibility as a stewardship. God has given you, he has entrusted to you children, he has entrusted to me a child, and now I am responsible for his possession, which he has granted to me for these years. She is his. She is his creation. She is his work. And I have been entrusted, and my wife has been entrusted, and you have been entrusted, parent, with that little life for as many years as you have interaction with that life. Children are gifts, and they are a stewardship from God himself, not unlike anything else in our lives. We get very possessive, and yet we need to remember that children are first and foremost gods entrusted to us as parents. Just the basics, parents are to instruct their children about the character and the work of God. There is no doubt about it that parents are to be about informing the minds of their children about the character and the work of God. And I trust that this is not something that you've relegated to the Sunday school program or to VBS or to Awana, that that is your informing their minds about who God is. Actually, parents are commanded to be active in in informing the little minds of their children. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses informs the nation of Israel that they were to be responsible in verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children. What is he talking about? The words that I command you today shall be on your heart, verse 6 says. So the nation of Israel was to, was to teach their children these commands given in the Torah. Now notice in verse 7 of Deuteronomy 6, if you're there, or just listen along, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. Unless they're in Awana, then the church does it for you. Just kidding. Deuteronomy 6 says that the home is to be the central place of discipleship. It is to be the basis of theology. Your parents, your grandparents, you're those who are encouraging others who are parents. Parenting is theological. It is the basis of information about God and about who he is and what he does. Moses goes on and says, You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets before your eyes or between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on the gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give you with the great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full, then take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Lest you forget in what context? Lest you forget the works of the Lord with your children. When was the last time we focused our attention on speaking to our children about the work of God in our lives, the miracles of grace that are ours in Christ? That is theological, that is intentional, and that is to be a priority of the family unit. Parents are to instruct their children about the character and the work of God. Just several pages over, chapter 11 Deuteronomy chapter 11 goes on with the same theme. Verse 18 says, You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, 
And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. The Word of God is to be all over your thinking. Verse 19, you shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you are sitting in your house, and when you are walking by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on the gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give them as long as the heavens are above the earth. What's the point? The point was that the nation of Israel was to pass on generation by generation the information that they had received about who God was and what he did. And the key place for the passing on of that information was not the synagogue. It was not. It was not the tabernacle in the wilderness. That was not the key place for theological discussion with generation upon generation. It was in the home. So when we speak to the issue of parenting in Scripture, let's begin by understanding that parents are commanded, they are accountable to instruct their children in the ways and the work of the Lord. Proverbs 1, we're going to reference this in just a moment. At the pace we're going, we're going to reference this in three weeks when I get there. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 8 says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland around your head and pendants around your neck. Parents, both mother and father, are to be instructors of their children. Foundationally, parents are not only to instruct, but they're to discipline their children. Proverbs is clear about the discipline responsibility within the home. You couldn't get more countercultural than what we find in the book of Proverbs. In fact, if you have your Bibles open, turn over to Proverbs chapter 13. Let's just read a couple of these passages from Proverbs chapter 13 and following. Proverbs 13, verse 24. Whoever spares the rod... That is the disciplinary rod. What does the next three words say? Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. I don't know about you, but one of the most daunting future parts of my life is going to be the discipline of my children. We could spend time and we will spend time talking about disciplining children, and yet I want to lay out the foundation that God commands and attaches discipline directly to your love for your children. Most of the time when we don't discipline our children, when we don't set boundaries and then hold the boundary as an authority, we claim that we give them room because we love them. We just don't want to hurt them. We don't want, ah, just want to love on them. To neglect discipline in the lives of your children God says is to hate them because you are setting them up for failure. You are setting their little hearts in a direction that will know no boundaries. Understand this, at the earliest stages you are teaching through your parenting the gospel. And at the most elementary level here in in little 10-month world when there are only two regulations in the whole house, we are already communicating that there is an authority above you, Carissa, 
And you must respond rightly to that authority or there will be a consequence. That is all with the intention that if God numbers her days long enough for us to inform her about the gospel, that we can tell her not only is there an authority in mommy and daddy that will discipline you, but if you do not repent and place your faith in Christ, there is an authority above mommy and daddy who is God of the universe who will discipline you for eternity if you don't repent. It is to hate your children to neglect the most foundational elements of instructing them and disciplining them in the Lord. Proverbs 22 and verse 15, another key section. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. That's no news. Folly is bound up. There's foolishness in the heart of the child. But the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. It should be assumed. It should be expected. And yet the remedy for that is the rod of discipline that drives that foolishness out of the child. How does that happen? That happens by foolish, disobedient decisions being responded to with a consequence that matches the the punishment, matching the crime that was committed against the authority of the parents. We're going to come back to discipline. And I trust that I don't leave you with some misunderstanding, but clearly understand that at the foundational level, you must be instructing and you must be you must be disciplining. Okay? Like just that's that's the no brainer of scripture. And you have to ask yourself, and I have to ask myself, already in our lives as parents, as grandparents, as those who encourage and come alongside of other parents, are we really marked out as instructors, as teachers, both life teachers and verbal teachers about the character and the work of who God is? Or are we just so excited? that Pastor David is here to do that for us. Is he on a different level? Does he take all that responsibility away from us and are are teaching them, are sitting down and rising up and in the house and walking along the way, instruction of our children about the character of God? Is that relegated to us getting in the car, buckling them in, and driving them to church on Sundays? Discipline is equally placed upon us as a responsibility. We have to examine our own lives and our own hearts. Are we faithful, God-centered, appropriate, and consistent in our discipline of our children? Are we disciplining at all? And if so, how and why are we disciplining? There's no way I'm going to get through any of this other than the introduction. Our goal as parental unit is to raise up children who love and follow Jesus Christ to the glory of God the Father. That is the Christian family. Say, what is the Christian family? I grew up in a Christian family. What does that mean? That means that my parents spent the whole of my youth while I was under their roof, discipling me, presenting the gospel to me, calling calling me to repentance, and focusing my attention on the character of God, and disciplining me in love so that I would understand that Choices have consequences. And the grace of God allowed me to have temporal consequences instead of my eternal consequence. That's a Christian family. That's a Christian home. If our goal 
is for information acquisition, then education is our answer. If the problem with our kids is that they just don't know the right things, the reason that there is immorality in in the youth of our day is because they just don't know enough about safety practices, then education is your answer. If our goal is behavior modification, then like Pavlov's dog, we can start to give them rewards and prizes for everything that they do, and eventually they will do enough of the things that we want them to. They'll sit at the other person's table after they've come to understand that if they sit there, that equals McDonald's Sundays on the way home. You can, you can do that enough times, and just like Pavlov's dog, they'll start to drool when they hear the bell ring. Maybe Pavlov's dog is not something you're familiar with. The most basic uh, and early behavior scientist, psychologist, basically he would ring a bell and he would put meat in front of a dog. Ring a bell, put meat. Ring a bell, put meat. Ring a bell, put raw meat. Over and over and over again. To the point where he just rang the bell and the dog would just start to drool. Because the behavior of that had been so ingrained in him. All that to say, if behavior modification is your goal, then reward will work. If you want to have personal satisfaction that you've been a success as a parent, then any number of these things can be set up as the best method. If you want your child to feel good about himself, then self-esteem is your highest goal, promoting their understanding of how good they really are, how much value they have in and of themselves. But if your goal and my goal as a parent is the life and heart transformation that comes only through the gospel then we must set ourselves to be disciplers of our children. That is synonymous with Christian parenting. That brings us then to the center of our study tonight, and we just finished our introduction. That's when we get to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, and we'll only take just a few moments here to look at the realities that we find In Ephesians chapter 6, there are four key checkpoints for Christian parenting found in Ephesians chapter 6 and in one verse, verse 4. Four key foundational principles for Christian parenting that must be taken to heart, that must be understood. The Bible does not have much to say to us as parents. It is simple, it is principial, and we are then to apply it to our everyday lives as those who follow Christ and our parents. Notice then, the first of these four key checkpoints for Christian families and Christian parenting found in verse 4. We find that verse 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. The context here is submission And submission within the church was first addressed in chapter 5, then submission between the husband and the wife relationship at the end of chapter 5. And now we move into the relationship of the remainder of the church, beginning with children at the first part of chapter 6, and moving to parents in verse 4, then to slaves in verse 5, then to masters in verse 9. So the context is mutual understanding of the relationship's that are present within the body of Christ. And in verse 4, in particular, we are addressing the parental responsibilities and checkpoints for the Christian family. 
Number one, Christian parenting starts with the dad. Christian parenting starts with the dad. Biblical parenting starts with the father. The assumption of Scripture, the ideal of Scripture, is that there is a head of this home who owns the responsibility for the upbringing, for the shepherding, for the discipleship of these children. That is not always the case. No news to you. No news to me. But the ideal with which we interact is that the father stands as the head. He is the husband. He is the head of this family. And that headship does not negate the responsibility of the other members of the family to obedience to God. But at the end of the day, the buck stops with dad. He will answer for the direction of his home. In the absence of dad, if there is no dad, then we are relegated to mom being the end of accountability. That's the natural flow of what we find in Scripture. Paul makes a point of addressing fathers here and in Colossians 3.21, which is the parallel to this, Colossians 3.21. And I think there are some key things that we could talk about just out of this, just very practical and truthful statements. First of all, dads are most likely to abdicate this responsibility to moms. All right, our culture is just clear. And when it comes to the parenting the parenting relationship when it comes to the home, the dad's responsibility is to go out into the workplace, to bring the paycheck home, to put the money in the bank so that mom can do the grocery shopping and she can care for the kids. That's what our world expects. And now that's even being challenged because now it's mom and dad are out of the home, making money, putting it in the bank, caring for the provisional needs of the family, And the daycare or the sitter or whoever spends the most time with that child is then given the responsibility of shepherding this little life. Whether it be shepherding for God's glory or shepherding for deception, ultimately in the end. Dads are most likely to abdicate this responsibility to moms. No mother has ever wondered, no mother has ever had to be reminded that she's responsible for her children. That is natural to her makeup. And yet God places the full weight of responsibility squarely on Pop's shoulders. It's his home. And what goes on in that home, the instruction, the discipline, all falls under his responsibility as the head. No different than the workplace. He doesn't do all of the instruction. He doesn't do all of the discipline. In fact, because he's not there as much, he probably does the least of those activities, and yet he is responsible for setting the course for his family in the direction and the priorities that God has outlined. Dads are the head of the family, thus they are responsible before God's. Moms are assumed to be the crucial element in raising the children, but they do so in God's ideal under the headship of their husbands. Okay? Is that clear enough? Let's just take a moment to pause here and be very specific. Dads, how are we doing? How are we doing before God? In our responsibility to set the pattern for parenting according to the clear instruction of what God has given us. This is the question we have to ask honestly before God and allow His Spirit to convict and to mold us and to shape us so that we can more purely represent what He desires for us to be. 
dads-to-be. How are you preparing your family for the transition to parenting? How are you setting a course that will set your family on God's priorities? Granddads, how are you doing in helping your sons and your son-in-laws to be encouraged, to be strengthened, to have courage to do what God has called them to do? If, if parenting is generational, and if it starts with an instruction about the character and the work of God, then granddads, great-granddads, all the way through the generation, aunts and uncles are all a part of helping those who are parenting to stay focused on the priorities outlined for parents in the Word of God. First and foremost, Christian parenting starts with the dad. Moms are critical. Moms will fill this responsibility if there is no dad. Proverbs 1, 8, 9, which we already read, clearly speaks to the instruction of mom. There is no more important person in the house, and you know this, we would all raise our hands, than mom. And yet there is no more responsible person in the house than dad. I don't think I want to talk anymore. (laughs) Okay, The weight of that sits heavy on us. Husbands are accountable for the management of their family, and that includes management of their parenting. You'll remember back in 1 Timothy that this is a part of the, the fundamental requirements in the character of those who would be elders and pastors in the church. They manage well their own households. That is, they are responsible as the overseer of their homes before they're ever given the responsibility of overseeing the body of Christ, the family of God, if you will. Immense responsibility placed on us men. Secondly, then in verse 4, we find Christian parents not only Christian parenting not only starts with the dad, but Christian parenting avoids needless provocation. Christian parenting avoids needless provocation. We have one negative principle and we have two positives in verse 4. The negative is that we avoid needless provocation. Do not provoke your children to anger. Christian parenting, from a scriptural standpoint, biblical parenting, avoids needless provocation. This does not mean that we never do anything or say anything to our children that causes them to be angry. Otherwise, your whole life would be giving more candy. More toys. More, more, more. Because you have a little self-worshipper who is born into your home. So understand clearly that this is not saying that there is no anger on part of your children to your discipline or to your regulations or even to your instruction. But Christian parenting avoids needless provocation. It does mean that we're not to incite our children or push them to anger and frustration with unbiblical, selfish hypocritical regulations or discipline. We are not to break their spirits. All of us have known of or have experienced dads who fall into this category, I trust not as a pattern, but some have certainly experienced that to its fullness. Colossians 3.21, the counterpassage of this says, Fathers, do not provoke your children. Why? Lest they become discouraged lest they become discouraged, their spirit broken because of the domination of their dad, of the needless provoking 
to anger. Wayne Mack gives these practical ways to avoid provoking our children to bitterness and discouragement in his book, Strengthening Your Marriage. Don't expect more than they are capable of giving or doing. Be intentional in your discipline and correction. Be consistent to live what you teach and be willing to confess your sin when you do not live what you teach. Fill their little minds with the mind of God about sin and obedience. Not with your definitions, but with God's definitions, which places the onus on you to be biblically informed about the way you talk about sin and disobedience. Purposefully have fun as a family. Dad should not always come home and deal with the issues and then go to the the lazy boy and read the paper and then kiss the kids goodnight and it's over. There should be fun in that family. Repeatedly and creatively express your affection and love to your children. Allow failure and mistakes to occur without overreacting. Make rules and regulations known from the beginning. Set clear boundaries. Listen to your children and listen to your children some more. Hear them. These are ways to help us practically not provoke our children to anger. We need to wrap this up. There are two more that we're going to look at next week. But in these two, let me say how blessed and how grateful I am to have had a dad who set an example of these two qualities for Christian parenting. One, taking the responsibility of that home squarely upon his shoulders. While mom was the most interactive with us as young children, we were not unaware that mom operated under the cloud, under the umbrella of the massive authority of our father. And if in any instance we decided that we would buck mom's authority, we could be sure that her teammate, her captain, her head of the home would come in and provide the needed reinforcements so that we would never again choose foolishly to stand against her authority. Not only that, but I had a dad who actively pursued, by the grace of God, a life that would not provoke us to anger. Not placing on us regulations that were ridiculous, not hypocritical or self-serving regulations. There were not rules in the home like when I get home, Natalie, you take my shoes off, bud, you get the paper, and you guys meet me in my chair. Okay? There were no rules. My dad was serving us as our leader. Always careful to listen to us. I learned at a very early age that if I came with a heart of submission to my dad and asked him why I wasn't allowed to do what I wasn't allowed to do or why he had decided the way he had decided about any activity, that he would speak openly about his decision. And I'll never forget at 13 or 14, the first time that I had a discussion like that with my dad and he said, you know, now that we've talked about it, bud, I think that was the wrong decision. You can go do that. There's no reason why that doesn't fit within the paradigm of our family. I walked away thinking, sweet, I get to do what I want to do. <laughs> okay, I had no appreciation for that. Yet now we look back, and I am grateful, and I know some of you are very grateful for fathers who patterned Christian parenting before you. Word of God is clear. Christian parenting is distinctly biblical. It is not strategic. It is not a method. It is a principle, principles derived 
from the mind of God himself, as revealed in his word. doesn't answer all of our questions. The word of God doesn't tell you how long to heat up the bottle in the microwave. doesn't tell you how many minutes to wait while they're crying before you go in and pick them up, knowing that then you can't put them back down doesn't tell you that information. It sets out guidelines for you, principles for your home of instructing, of shepherding, of having a priority and a goal to see little lives transformed by the gospel that will guide, it will direct, it will help practically make decisions in your family very easy. The problem is, not unlike any other section we've ever studied in our Bibles, the problem is our own heart. Our problem is our own pride. Our problem is our own remaining sin as God's people. That we as parents, grandparents, friends of parents, begin to believe that our practical wisdom is either parallel or is even more sufficient than the infallible, inerrant, inspired word of God. And so when young parents come to you, older parents, or young parents come to you, grandparents, and they say, we're struggling with our child, we're we're struggling often the first thing out of our mouths is some piece of practical advice about how we dealt with the situation in our past. When we're struggling as parents, often our thought is, I need practical wisdom. I need to know what steps to take to fix this problem. And our source that we run to screams to us about where our dependence lies. Where do we turn? Where do we go? Do we go to what 1 Peter tells us is all that we need for life and godliness, the sufficient word of Christ? Or do we run to the nearest help book, method, strategy for our goal and our priorities as parents? Christian parenting is biblical parenting. It's focused on instruction and discipline matched by love and care in the truest sense of the terms. It rests in responsibility on the father And it is seen as a parenting structure that avoids needless provocation of the children. We'll come back and we'll look at two more and then conclude our time. Maybe my goal is for us to conclude our time with some Q&A with some older seasoned parents who will help us in their application of these principles from God's Word. Okay, I hope that's helpful to you. I trust that you can be an encouragement if you're not in this particular stage of life or if your stage of life in parenting is drawing to an end or if it is less than the ideal of what Scripture tells or speaks of for the family, I trust that this still is an encouragement to you, informing you of God's mind so that you can apply it to those around you and be faithful to provoke one another, as Hebrews tells us, to love and good works, including the good works of Christian parenting.